Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. I was in a moment of my life where I was like, why me, God? Just all the childhood trauma, all the things. And Jesus came to me and said, why not you? Well, God came to me and said, why not you? Who are you that you can't suffer these things? Mm. You're suffering these things. And now what? What are you going to do with it? And in that brief, I talk about this all the time, but in that brief moment of realization, it was the idea that, oh my God, I've been through all these things so they could prepare me for the next thing. Because I had, like you said, I have everything in me to do what I want to do. It was just a shift from the external to the internal. Sure. And that's the shift that a lot of people don't understand life from that perspective that when you shift from they can do this for me. I need to meet that person to do this. or I need to do that person to do that to mm-hmm. the internal of, like you said, how can I make this happen? Mm-hmm. Your life changes because mm-hmm. you're taking your power back. So talk to us about the process of taking your power back because it, it's sounding like it's just, oh, you just flip the switch, but we have to know that there's a switch And we have to know that there are other possibilities than what we're taught. And we also have to know, like you said before, that the ideas that we have created about ourselves, the personas that we have created are very calculated Mm -hmm. and how they want us to think and the level they want us to be in this nation. So speak to us about that light switch and how that we even know that there's a switch. Well, let's go back to this idea of thinking in community. If you know anything about the ways in which human beings learn from the time that we're little, little babies, the ways that human beings learn are one of two ways, either through modeling. When you see someone do something, you're like, oh, let me see if I can do that. And then didactic, which is like somebody else giving you oral histories get passed down that way. You know, the stories that we hear, et cetera, et cetera. And some of it is just kind of like in the water. So they may not necessarily be speaking to you directly, but you hear mom and dad talking about money, for example. And then that's how when you're three years old, you learn, oh, money is scarce, scarce. Mm -hmm. Because mom and dad are fighting about it. They're stressed about it. And they're wondering where the next is coming from, et cetera, et cetera. So they may not necessarily be talking to you, but they're modeling the behavior of scarcity. Right. And so how you flip the switch for yourself now that you're an adult and you have these tapes running in your subconscious is Where does the opposite experience exist? Somebody has it. That's why shows like The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, that's why they were so popular back when they were on, because we wanted to see how somebody else was living. That's modeling in full effect. And so you want to then start asking creative, not reactive questions. Creative questions like, well, what did they do to get there? How can I do that? What resources do they need or have they needed in order to do that? How can I get my hands on those 
So now you're asking questions to create that experience as opposed to reacting and being like, that's not available to me. The other thing that you want to practice is to just observe your own thinking and feelings instead of just being in it. You know, it's kind of like the experience of if you've ever been at a party or in a dance or at a club and somebody takes, you know, a reel of you or video and then posts it later and you watch yourself dancing. There's a part of you that was doing the experience, being in the experience of dancing and having a good time. And then there's a part of you that's like watching you do it. Right. So start relating more to the part of your consciousness that is observing your life and not just the one that's in it. It's a little bit like um, what I'm asking you to do is don't just be Romeo in the play, Romeo and Juliet, be Shakespeare. And so then you start observing this character, you know, what would they do? What would they say? Why would they react this way? It's a little bit, this is something that you learn a lot, like in theater and in acting classes and so forth. I remember when I was in high school, I had a, I took a theater class and this guy was an actual like working, making money type playwright in Boston. And he gave us an assignment one day where you're supposed to take one scene of one act of one play. And your homework was to say that this line, go line by line and say this line either forwards the character development or the plot development. And if it does neither one, what would you put in its stead? And so what possibility opened for me out of that assignment was, well, what if my life is like that? What if I'm a character in this play called My Life? And what I say and do either forwards my character development or the plot of my life. And if it's not forwarding my character or my plot, then what would I do instead? What would I say instead? So that kind of like observer mindset goes a long way in allowing you to see possibilities that you have not seen because you're too entrenched in your own, you know, like the way you were raised or history or culture or society or whatever the case may be. But just observing it is enough to give you enough distance to allow other possibilities to come to the forefront. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. That process changed my life because when I learned to look at my life from the perspective of of an observer, Mm -hmm. I asked the question, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this moment as opposed to reacting to the moment? Yes. Because I used to be the pop-off queen. I tell people all the time, I could... (laughs) Three seconds or less, you're on the floor. But (laughs) I had to look at, and one thing that shifted my thinking was, that helped shift it, was the movie Crash. Mm. When an incident happened, and then you got to see what what was happening in each person's life prior to that moment. Mm -hmm. So that took me on the quest of questions of, okay, so if I'm in this heated conversation, let me start thinking about the other person instead Mm -hmm. of just how I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't have to like the situation, but I also don't have to react to it. Yeah. And is there a different way that I can respond? And so then I started looking at, I'm a, I love movies. So I started saying, okay, the observer piece is let's look at our life as a, from a perspective of a movie. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, we look at the whole thing, not just the moment that we're in. Yeah. So that's where things shift for people and they do see other possibilities because not only does it show us our life in a whole different perspective, but it helps us see those breadcrumbs of trails to the next possibility and the next possibility. Maybe the things that we've been praying for, God, please help me do this. Well, God has sent it to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You just can't see it because your mind is so focused on 
what we don't have or how we wish it should be. Yeah. So I completely understand what you're saying. Yes. And thank you for breaking it down. Absolutely. And so the conversation that I that I bring forth in that my the program is called Women, Wealth and Worthiness. And so many times the conversation around wealth is like, just tell me what to do. What do I need to do to fix my credit? What do I need to do to make more money? What do I need to do to, you know, invest, get started in investing or buy some real estate or plan for retirement or, you know, build my legacy and so forth. And then if somebody tells you exactly what to do, okay, do this. And then you do this and then you make this money and then you make this sale and then you set this up. And And you go sit in front of your computer, you go in front of the phone to make that phone call or whatever. And then something in you says, "Mm, we're not doing that. (laughs) And so then people come to me like, I don't, why, why do I know what to do? And then just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's that conversation around worthiness. So one of my favorite academicians, her name is Professor Joy DeGroy. Oh my God. She talked about oh my God. I know, you know, I know, you know. Oh um, my God. She talks about post-slavery trauma disorder. Mm-hmm. And if you could just imagine like a, a white woman, a white mother and a black mother talking about their children. They go to the same school and they're talking about their children. And the black mother says to the white mother, Tim is doing great. He's really shining. I see him over there and, you know, playing football or playing soccer or whatever. It's developing his athleticism. And the white mother says, oh, thank you so much. And she takes the compliment and she brags on her son and, you know, smiles at him. And he's looking and like, yeah, that's right. Mama loves me. Right. <laughs> but then she turns the compliment around to the black mother. and says, yeah, you know, your son is doing great too. I see, you know, he, Tim was telling me about, you know, he was bringing in some great grades and Anthony did this and that. And the black mother says, oh man, but he's so shiftless though. And he's so this and then, and she starts putting down her son. If you take that same scene 300 years ago, what that mother was doing was protecting her son. I don't want him to be valuable to you because you might sell him. And if it's a girl, I don't want you to compliment that she's pretty because you might rape her or you might send her to a breeding farm. But we don't understand the epigenetics and the cultural historicity of some of the things that why we do the things that we do. It's kind of like that story about, you know, the kid, the, the woman that says, why did, why do we cut the both ends of the meatloaf when we put it in the pan? Grandma used to do it because the pan was too short. Right. <laughs> so she used to cut. But now you have no reason to do that. Right. <laughs> you can buy whatever pan you want. Yes. So it's the same deal. It's like, why do we do the things that we do? Because it was a survival strategy at some point in your lineage. Mm-hmm. At some point in your lineage, you making this amount of money would have put you vulnerable to somebody kidnapping you, raping you, killing you, you know, harming your family in some way. If you got too loud, if you spoke too much, if you spoke too loudly, if you fought against injustice, all of those things could have been life-threatening gestures. But today, you don't have to do that. But your cellular memory does not know that. So it thinks it's protecting you. And we need to be a little more gentle, I think, with our limiting beliefs in that they're not there to F you up. They are there to protect you. And what you get to do to melt those limiting beliefs away, because our fight or flight instincts are very strong. It is a fail safe switch to make sure that you stay alive. So what you get to do in order to, instead of resisting it and fighting it and telling it, shut up, go away. Because every time you say that to, to anything that you're resisting, that's, not the way to do it. What resists, what you resist persists, right? You do that by making sure that you are very clear about your goals, by looking for evidence of other people that have achieved similar things to what you want to achieve in your life, 
by getting mentoring and, and getting around modeling behavior that you want to model and environments in which you want to live. So if you want to live in a particular neighborhood, if you want to frequent particular places, go there now. Go take a ride in that neighborhood. Go to an open house and go check out the houses that are for sale. Go sit in that hotel lobby, that luxury five-star hotel. Go get that you know, brochure for the car that you said that you wanted. More importantly, the people that have the kind of money that you want to have, what are they doing with it? Because it's not just about buying bigger, better boats, bigger, better houses. Who are they helping? One of the unconscious conversations that we have about wealth is that wealthy people, rich people are bad, morally greedy, extortionists, you know, immoral and so forth. And you see yourself, nobody is ever a villain in their own story. So you see yourself as a good person. So if good means broke, I would rather be broke than evil. Okay, well, are other wealthy people using their money for good? Is anybody creating a foundation? Does anybody have a charitable organization? Are scholarships being distributed by people? I mean, Oprah just sent a gang of people to college. So did Robert Smith. You know what I mean? So you get to look at evidence so that your cognitive memory can work with your cellular memory and create new neural pathways in your brain of the realities that are possible for you. Yes, 100%. And also have the understanding that you have the power to shift out of your traditions and your old way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's not somebody else that's going to do that for you. You're going to have to do it for yourself, but you can be around people who have gone through that process. Yeah. And they can help guide you to staying on the new side of your new cellular memory. And then, like you said, melting away those limiting beliefs because they continue. For instance, we're told to be humble Mm -hmm. and we think it comes out of church because that's what the pastor tells us, but it comes, go on back. When you look up the actual word, it means inferior. Mm -hmm. So it's about being humble is about being inferior. So just the simple words that we use have to shift because that also brings about, that affects our cellular memory. Just the simple words. So if you keep saying that, like, for instance, when I learned, when I actually looked up the word, I said, oh, I'm going to stop saying I'm humble. I'm going to start saying I'm grounded. I no Mm -hmm. longer use that word. I'm grounded. I'm grounded in the earth as a woman. I'm grounded as the earth and the earth is a part of this interplanetary experience that we're living. I'm grounded in the earth to the roots of my ancestors. That's what I'm grounded into. And so to say I'm humble means comes out of hierarchy saying that I am beneath or below somebody. And that is not the case. (laughs) So I think it's very important that when we look at where we want to be in life, we also have to check in with the language that we use, the environment that we're in, and then ask ourselves, okay, how does this feel? Mm -hmm. And really check in with how that feels, not how it's supposed to feel or how society tells us we're supposed to feel. If you don't feel good in that big house and you want to leave it all and go travel around the world with the backpack, (laughs) that's what makes you feel good. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Yes. (laughs) If you're in a corporate job that is every day, all you do is talk about how much you hate it and you want to do something different. Go explore, go take an adventure, learn something new, like you said. So 100% what you're saying is actually the most powerful position you can be in because you get to decide for yourself on how you want to live your life. So you talk about your program 
Women, Wealth, and Worthiness. What inspired that program? When I was in college, my first career out of college was as a financial planner and a stockbroker, and it was a very male-dominated place. However, our clients, right, the people whose, whose money we were in charge of growing and making sure that your retirement was all set and so forth, most of the time when a man came to us with a conversation around what to do with their money, almost always they said, I'm going to check in with my wife. Women, by far, are the ones that make financial decisions, even though historically in this culture, we have relied on men and have had to, legally and otherwise, to, to be kind of like the face of finance. And so men make more money than women historically in this, in this culture, but women make more of the financial decisions, short-term and long-term. And so to have the responsibility of making those decisions, but not having the knowledge, the financial literacy, the access to power that is required so that your decisions make a bigger difference and a bigger impact, to me, seemed like this is jacked up. <laughs> what? No, no, we don't want this to, 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 work, to go like this any further. And so you see that with the advent of things like Elvest and I Will Make You Rich and all these other financial literacy places, the focus on women's empowerment about that is because we are already wealth. Like I said, you were already a line item in somebody else's wealth spreadsheet. We are already wealth. You don't have to become wealth. You already are that. What I'm doing with Women, Wealth, and Worthiness is connecting your awareness of who you already are with the financial literacy for the tools so that you can leverage who you already are. You already have a purpose in your Yes, I agree with that. I always tell young girls that we are the money. <laughs> we were the money. Like the wealth or the that, tools that, and the know-how no, to make it happen. But just we were the actual how these people became wealthy were owning us. So yeah. we were the money. And we forget that because we think we were there to do the work. It's like no, we were there to do the work, but we were mm -hmm. also the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because if the people who didn't have slaves were poor people. Mm -hmm. And the more people that you own, the bigger your wealth was, the bigger your power structure was, the bigger your influence was. And we, you know, but you have to study history in order to know that. Now, before we get, we've talked about the divine feminine, the feminine aspect. Mm -hmm. I want to really break down the distinction between feminist, femininity, and the divine feminine. Okay. Because I think that they are three different aspects and three different mm -hmm. things. And so when we're speaking at this moment, we're talking about the divine feminine. Can you talk about feminism and how it impacts women as well as femininity? Because people keep talking about this soft movement, the soft life movement, being more girly, being more feminine and what that means to us. I, I have my own opinion of it, <laughs> but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Well, the idea of femininity, like it just has one particular way of expression, is a uniquely Western capitalistic framework. Because if you study any indigenous or ancient traditions, the feminine deities all had a dark side and a light side, and they all had attributes that in this society you would attribute to men. So for example, Kali in the Hindu tradition is very much a warrior goddess. She will slice your throat and wear your skull around her neck and tease you with the blood coming out of her tongue. She is fierce. But the purpose of that destruction isn't violence. 
it's to destroy the pieces of you that symbolize materiality or attachments to the physical world, as opposed to being about, as people have said in, in biblical terms, your father's business. And the same thing with, for example, I'll use someone from the African traditional religions or Yoruba, the same thing with Oya, Oya being the goddess of storms, which is where, by the way, Marvel Comics gets o- uh, storm from. But that's another sermon for another Sunday. Thank you for the appropriation. <laughs> Listen, the Orishas uh, are all up in Marvel Comics. Yes, child, yes. <laughs> Lord have mercy. And if you don't know, you don't recognize them. But if you do know, it's like you see them everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like this fierce, thundering, you know, goddess that can create storms, that can create hurricanes and cyclones and and just drown out entire cities and that kind of thing, using the power of water, not just the power of like violence, fire and metal and whatever. That is That speaks to the ingenuity and the fierceness of the feminine as well. So I wanted to get that said because I don't want to, I don't want people to walk away from this thinking that feminine equals soft because it isn't. That's just one, right. just one aspect of it. And then you want to just put your critical thinking cap on and says, who has a vested interest in me being only soft? Who has a vested interest in Do you all suck your teeth too? You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Why would somebody want me to be only soft? Why don't you want me to be hard also? Because that's available. And so, so there's that part. Then the part of femininity, you know, if you're an able-bodied human being, you have a left side and a right side. You have left arm, right arm, right leg, left leg, and so forth, right? Right hemisphere, left hemisphere. The idea isn't to only be logical, only be right-handed, only be masculine. The idea is to integrate the masculine and the feminine so that you can be, in a word, to to use a, a word from the writing world, ambidextrous. So you can write with your left and your hand and your right. And in the same way, the reason why there's such a rise of the divine feminine now is because it's been so suppressed. This is just the law of rhythm in full effect, that if the pendulum swings to the left, to the degree and with the intensity that it swung to the left, it has to swing to the right. Not because right is better than left, but because there's a balance that has to happen. There's this rhythm that has to happen, what ebbs must flow and so forth. And so if you are integrated in your own consciousness, you have both masculine and feminine in equal and opposite degree, then you don't need all that swinging, <laughs> right? It's like me when I, when I have, I'm speaking to you, Monica Wisdom, in English, but the minute that my mother calls me, I switch immediately to speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's immediately available to me. And the only reason I'm not using my skills in speaking Spanish here is because it isn't relevant. It's not needed, but when, but I have it. And when it becomes needed, I put the English away and start speaking Spanish to my mother because with her, English is irrelevant. (laughs) So it's the same thing with us in our human nature. There are some places, there are some environments, there are some skills that that require your masculine consciousness. And then there are others that require your feminine consciousness. Where do you go get it when your culture has told you not to do that? So that's why the feminine retreats and the and all this focus on the divine feminine. Now, the aspect that I want to reiterate, divine feminine does not mean soft. Because when you access your divinity, we're talking about power. Right. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about confidence. We're talking about certainty and flow. Now, it seems as though certainty and flow look like they're paradoxical to one another. They are not. Certainty, the reason why you can flow is because you are certain. You would need to control stuff if you were certain, 
if you were certain, you could allow to dance. You can afford to be creative. You can afford to be in, in to have your ingenuity. So it's the same thing. This femininity, or I should say feminist movement started actually with Black women. It was co-opted later by white women who wanted to equate themselves to white men at the expense of Black and Indigenous people of color. And any time that your search for power has you exclude or stand on the power of somebody else, it will never be sustainable. You can just hang that up. Just hang it up. It's not going to work. I wish you could see my face right now because I'm always saying this and people are like, oh girl, you're crazy. I'm like, I have no desire to be a part of a feminist movement. Know the history of it and know that it is another form of oppression for black and brown women. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. So it was like, we want the right, if black men can vote, then we want to vote too. Mm -hmm. Basically was the start. So when people say in 1920, women got the right to vote, what women? Because black women couldn't vote in 1920, 30, 40, 50. They couldn't vote until we got the, the, the Voting Rights Act in 1964. Oh. And indigenous women couldn't vote until 1978. The people who've been here the longest. So what are you talking about? You're talking about white power. And so we as women, all of us, white women, black women, and, uh, Latina, Asian, everybody, we all get to realize that we are playing with a consciousness of supremacy, a consciousness, not people. Because the minute that somebody wakes up, the minute that somebody wakes up to their own divine intelligence, they're not interested in that game anymore because you're way bigger than that game. The only reason why you want to play that game is because you think that there's limited resources and you have limited access to it. When you understand that you are infinite and and omnipotent, then you don't need to play that game and you don't need to exclude anybody else from playing that game. We can all win. And so the idea on the T-shirt, we can all win We can all win. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Right next to stand for the end. <laughs> so the conversation about feminism is not just how can I get the same rights as a man, but rather how can we all win, which is the intersectionality of womanism that was then later on, you know, that then black when black women saw what white women were doing with feminism, like, okay, listen, let's no, that's not what we meant. <laughs> and then off we went with womanism, right? So yeah, I hope that helped. I hope that clarified some things. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because I always tell people every group of people have their journey to liberation. Yes. For Black women, we've always worked. We've always been had a voice in our household. Mm-hmm. White women did not. I mean, you can watch any British movie and it'll it'll show you how they were treated like possessions. Sit here, stand there, wear this dress, you know, all of that situation. We didn't have that. <laughs> I don't know even a black little girl that shuts her mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. People will mm-hmm. try and dominate us, but in us is we say what we feel. And I think that there has been a, you know, through different situations, there have been times when we have had to be quiet just to be safe, but we're not in that time anymore. So accessing the divine feminine reminds us. It's not something we're getting. It reminds us of what's already in us. That's exactly right. Yeah. I love how you broke down each piece of that, because I think it's important to know that as these young people are talking about this soft life, it's another form of of oppression. Mm -hmm. The idea that you have to have a luxurious life in order to be soft or feminine is another form of oppression. The idea that you have to quiet yourself so that you can appeal to a man 
is another form of oppression. What we're talking mm-hmm. about is owning your power that was born with you <laughs> when you won yeah. that race with the sperm yeah. and the egg that came with you as a feminine feminine being on this planet and the energy that is within us. So that's yeah. why I wanted you to break that down so that people know that there is a definite distinction between those three elements. So I love the way that you broke that down. Thank you. I always tell people, I said, I need, I need a more graceful way of saying things because I'm just too <laughs> grateful. <laughs> well, listen, speaking of graceful ways of th- saying things, I remember a conversation that I had with my father that absolutely changed my life. When I was in my 20s, I was separated from my first husband and I had already had my daughter. And I was talking to my mom about, oh my God, you know, like if you loved me the way that I love this child, oh my God, I'm so sorry for ever making you suffer. You know, that kind of full circle moment, right? And my father is witnessing this very womanly, very feminine moment. And he kind of feels excluded. He injects himself in the conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bless his heart. And at one point, my mom- Like, hi, like, I'm here. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey. Right. <laughs> I'm ready to be centered again. Hello. You know? Um <laughs> And so my mom takes my daughter and she goes somewhere with her. I don't know if it was to change her diaper or something, whatever. But the point is my father and I end up alone in the room. And I ask my dad, dad, how come you've been such a like, oh, amazing, you know, advocate for me and my sister. You know, um, my dad had two, two daughters and a, and a son, right? My, me and my sister. And how come you've been such an advocate for us to like follow our dreams and stand up for ourselves and this and the third and just so amazed, like an advocate, like a feminist. I would say that he would he was he would consider himself a feminist when it came to his daughters. But when it came to my mother, you're a staunch, like traditional masochistic machista kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And my father kind of like sat there for a second in silence, pondering it. I could tell that he was measuring his words. Like he wanted to give it to me as honest as possible, but also wanted to be accurate in in what he wanted to communicate. And he said, I think the difference is that your mother is here for me and you guys are here as me. Mm. I said, he said the quiet part out loud. He said the quiet part out loud, didn't he? Mm. Because I think some people do. And in some instances, in some marriages and in some relationships, people have it as though a for a man, that woman is an ex- is here for your service, for your goals, for your dreams, for your comfort, for your convenience, for your, like, handle all the stuff that you can delegate. So like your secretary type deal, right? Whereas my father saw his daughters not here to serve him, but here to be kind of like a, a legacy for him or a, an example of him or an extension of him. So, yeah, I want you to have all the power. I want you to have all the money. I want you to have all the education because you're a part of me. And I just thought that was so amazing that he can see our full humanity when he saw himself in us. Mm. But because he didn't see himself in my mother, he couldn't even recognize her humanity. She has dreams and goals. I have nothing to do with you, sir. (laughs) Sir. (laughs) I just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. One, that that's true. Or that that's accurate. And two, that you had the temerity to say that out loud. Because, you know, somebody else would have slapped you by saying that. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> what did you just say to me? Mm-hmm. But I just, I just was so thankful for my father's authenticity in that moment. Because it put a lot of things in perspective. And it also informed how I selected my next husband. 
Because at the time I had separated from my first husband and I was kind of like, you know, just doing me and whatever. But it, I got clear. It's like, I want to be partnered, not just in a primary, intimate, sexual, you know, marriage committed relationship, but just in general. I want to be partnered and have friends with people who can see and celebrate my full humanity. Mm-hmm. That's a deal breaker, like sine qua non. Without that, we have nothing kind of standard. And that's the thing is that we as women, especially women of color. And let me say this at this point, I'm only speaking for black women and women of color Mm -hmm. because I know our journeys. I don't know all of our journeys, but I know enough to say that we are, we are operating at half capacity of Mm. what we have the potential to do because of how we have been oppressed. And that what you said, your father machismo and in black culture, the alpha male perspective. Sure. And I need a man and the church perspective of I need a man who's the head of the household. Those are all forms of oppression for women, because if you shine too bright, you get put down. If Mm -hmm. you do too much, you get put down. So Mm -hmm. we condition we become conditioned to just do enough and not be noticed. And that does come out of safety, but it has morphed into a whole other thing. This whole Mm -hmm. be humble aspect, because what happens is, is women who have brilliant ideas, brilliant things that they want to do in the world stop because one, they don't want to shine brighter than the man that they're with. And two, they don't feel comfortable being out front. Right. So my whole mission is for women to speak out loud, be just be loud. J-Lo does this. You talked about J-Lo has a song that says get loud. And I love that song. Yes. Yes, Because it is like an, it's like a calling. It's like a call and a response. Let's get loud because this soft life, life thing is taking over. This be humble thing has taken over and it's not allowing our community to grow because we're only giving out pieces of who we are. And that's what I loved about learning about the divine feminine was just one, discovering other pieces of myself mm-hmm. and developing that, but just looking at myself as a whole person. Sometimes I'm going to get pissed off. Sometimes that's I'm going right. to you. I don't have, I don't, I'm not trying to be black excellent. I'm just trying to be the best me I know how to be. Yes. And, because, and part of your mastery is, is knowing what tool to use for how long and for what mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. That that requires discernment. So I'm not saying don't be soft. I'm just saying that there's there's a time and a space for that. And when you don't have discernment to be so black and white and to be like, no, it has to be this or nothing is impudent. It's just not discerning. It's it's not useful to you. And ultimately, it you're denying or suppressing a part of you that deserves to be witnessed. And, and it's not because soft is not weak, but tender mm-hmm. we as when brown women because we have to be tough to survive we also have to discover our tenderness within us and it's not to make us palatable for other people but it's so that we can breathe <laughs> so that we can take our cape off and breathe I think that it's important that you talk about your study of the divine feminine because I know that you Aside of your brilliant business acumen mm-hmm. and your programs on that aspect, you also take people to Egypt yeah. so they can see 
this divine feminine of what you're talking about from a historical perspective. Tell us about the significance of Egypt. Egypt is the cradle of modern civilization. And you can see when you go to Egypt and you see in the temple walls, the actual genesis of what we consider now to be modern religion. And so when you can see, for example, where did we get the idea that a mother had a child in a virgin birth? (laughs) Where did we get that idea? Well, that idea came from ancient Egyptian mysticism, where Isis, this is the Greek name for her, Aset in in Egyptian, ancient Egyptian conversations, where she had to look for Osiris when he was killed by his brother Set, i.e. Cain Abel mythology, and found all 13 pieces, lunar cycles, except the phallus, (laughs) suppressed the sexuality of of the masculine. And so she had to craft a phallus out of gold, another spiritual teaching, because gold represents the solar cycles, and impregnate herself with this spiritual essence. And she impregnated herself and gave birth to Horus or Haru, which is the chosen child because Osiris wasn't going to have any more children. He did, right? (laughs) So so you can see when you go to Egypt, oh, that's how that conversation got, or that's how that story got lost in translation. This is the way that we have multiplied the many stories because there's at least 25 messiahs. I went to school for comparative religions, have a one of my PhDs is in comparative religions. And I counted 25 messiahs, child. I was like, <laughs> you mean to tell me everybody has a Christ? Everybody? Yes. Yes, everybody. And so this conversation then becomes, you get to look at the source. And the entire time, this is one of the, if I could get anybody that goes to Egypt with me with the Sacred Mystery School Tour, the Biggest lesson that I want you to get from that is what I discovered when I went to the Cairo Museum that we had like the Tutankhamun exhibit. And I stood in front of the Tutankhamun entrance and I started repeating the name Tutankhamun, 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 like a mantra. And as I was repeating it time and time again, I reminded myself that Egypt was colonized by the French. Tut is the word for all in French. Mm-hmm. Ankh is the word for the key of knowledge. Amun is the word for God. So everything leads to God. Mm-hmm. Tutankhamun wasn't a historical pharaoh. He was a spiritual teaching. And so when I like got it together, I promise you, I fell to my knees and I was weeping. At the time, I was with a particular spiritual teacher of mine. And she came up to me. She was like, what's going on? I said, Tutankhamun. Tut, Ankh. Oh, that's all I can say. That's all I can get out. And she looked at me like, ah, she's got it. (laughs) (laughs) By golly, she's got it. (laughs) And we hugged and she dried my tears. You know what I'm talking about. And it was just an amazing experience of like, but she, if she told me, if I read it in a book, if somebody had, you know, put Mm -hmm. it in a, you know what I'm saying? A podcast somewhere, it wouldn't have worked. I had to be there. I had to look at it. I had to come to my own understanding. And that's, I think, the power of taking people on these retreats and these, for me, sacred mystery school tours is I don't have your answers. And just like a master teacher will never tell you what to think or what to believe, but she will show you where to look so that you can get your own answers. Mm. 
And that's why I love Bruce Lee movies. He <laughs> says, flow like water. Yes. That's, that's beautiful because like we've been talking about this whole conversation, you have that power mm-hmm. not to just make shifts in your life, but to see the realities that are right in front of you. Yes. You know, look up at the sky, go to your church and look around at the, and ask, like you said, the proper questions. Mm-hmm. Because when you had that realization that this is a, this is not an aspect or a person or a deity, this is a teaching. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. Wait a minute. <laughs> everything <laughs> leads to God. Yeah. And that means everything. Like in Christianity, we say omnipotent, all the things, everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that realization, I can't imagine three days later how you felt. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That understanding. Yeah, absolutely. When was your first time in Egypt? The year was 2010. Mm-hmm. Was and when was your last trip? Last year. I take a group of people every year. So the, the journey was that I went to Egypt seven times as a student. And these next seven times, well, six was the last one. This, this year it'll be the seventh time, have been as a teacher, have been as a guide. Mm, that's amazing. Would you ever just do that? Or do you still want to run your business and do the mystery school, sacred school, I should say? Well, they're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I have discovered, the more that I do my business coaching and executive leadership coaching and so forth, Most people come with a presenting problem of, I want more sales, or I want my business to run more smoothly, or I need to work on my team and my communication, or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, at the bottom of all that conversation is how, what is my relationship to the divine? And they don't necessarily say it that way. They don't necessarily word it that way. They may not even be aware that that's what they're asking. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, at at the bottom of it, right, if you can just imagine that the journey of coaching is like there's the public square and then there's the street and then there's the steps to the church and then there's the foyer in the church and then there's the pews and then there's like the holy of holies where the priest goes right Mm -hmm. then when people see like my website or my podcast interviews or my social media or whatever that's kind of like the street and they think oh she's a business coach oh she's you know she helps people make more money which is true but it's an incomplete story If you go up the stairs and you take one of my classes or you take one of my free workshops or whatever, and then you're like, oh, she's a sales coach. And she, you know, sprinkles in some astrology and some human design and some, you know, metaphysics in there. Okay, got it. Right. But that's not the complete story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You might sit in the pews and you might actually be a coaching client and you might actually be one of my students and so forth. And you're like, oh, she's a business coach and she does leadership and, and conversations. And wow, I love how she tied these things together. And I can definitely see the connection and the historicity and the, the strategy and so forth. So you get a better idea, but it's still incomplete. You, the holy of holies of all of that is you meeting yourself, not you taking or buying my intellectual property, not you buying into or having access to my coaching or my expertise, the whole point of that expertise, the whole point of that intellectual property, the whole point of the workshops and the retreats and the so forth is to have you come home to yourself, is to teach or speak or, or coach my way out of a job so that you are your own master. Not that you become your own master, but that you recognize that you have been your own master all along. Now, when I looked at the aspects of your company, and one of them is spirit. So you're out and loud about that aspect of your business. Where did you get the understanding of, I'm going to let people know what I'm doing? 
so that they're clear. Because so many people put out these, like we talk about personas, but not just personal personas, but business personas. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Very clear whenever you speak about where you are and how you teach people. Where did that yes. come from? How did you develop that? It wasn't always like that. I had to come to my own understanding. I had to I had to mature in my own relationship to my own wisdom. And at first it was, you get this conversation when you've paid enough money or when you've studied with me enough or when you've reached a particular level of understanding or whatever. And I now know that part of that exclusivity was a little bit of fear, a little bit of visibility fear. I now understand that I want to, I want to lead with that from the get because if that's not what you're interested in, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste mine. I think just like how the stakes are higher in that, for example, with climate change, we're running out of time to do some of the preventive and corrective things that we can do to make sure that our planet lives well beyond us. Otherwise, it'll destroy us from a bio eco ecosphere standpoint. Right. In the same way, we have reached a level in human consciousness with the advent of AI, with the advent of technology, with becoming global economies and now destabilization of the dollar and so on and so forth. You can see in geopolitics and in global economy that you can no longer manage your life the way that you used to with these suppressive systems. Even with our with our recent, you know, like just the people that are coming up now, that our children have, have become, this is now the second generation of digital natives that you you have a bottle in one hand and a tablet in another. <laughs> you know so so we need to be very clear and forthright about the spiritual wisdom that they can lean to because otherwise they will be at the effect of these technological advances and geopolitical changes and so for me spirituality does not exist in a vacuum it's not this thing that you go to this mountain and just kumbaya and nomi horenge cure bliss your spirituality has to make sense in the in the culture and the civilization in the zeitgeist that you live in you have to be able to bring or to express, I should say, God to the people that are that you're supposed to do work with. There's a saying in A Course in Miracles that says, I'm only here to be truly helpful. I don't have to worry about what to say or what to do because she who sent me will show me. And, and I changed the he to the she on purpose because, you know, Holy Spirit for me is a feminine aspect of God. And so for me, it's not so much about like, be clear with your branding. And it's, it's not a messaging thing. It's a conviction thing for me. And I want to live my life in such a way. If you've if you heard my kind of origin story, you know how important the, the film Saving Private Ryan <laughs> was. When I left corporate America and went to start my own business, I was in the middle of a cervical cancer stage four diagnosis and healing myself through that, which we'll see it say for another Sunday. But one of the movies that I was watching while I was in that cocoon of self-healing was Saving Private Ryan. And Private Ryan was one of five sons who this platoon came to save because he was the only surviving son of this mother, which is a play on something that Abraham Lincoln had to do. And the captain of that platoon was played by Tom Hanks and Private Ryan was played by Matt Damon. And these people died. In fact, the captain himself, Captain Miller, died trying to save Private Ryan. And at one point, as he's languishing, and but they're like seconds away from being saved, but it's too late because the captain's about to die. He pulls Private Ryan to him and he says, earn this. These people that have given their lives to save yours, earn this. And I was in the middle of my cancer diagnosis and I got on one knee and I said, God, <laughs> I will earn the rest of my days if you get me out of this cancer thing. You know, I know you know what I'm talking about. We all have had a moment where we plead and bargain mm -hmm. with, with, with the divine. 
And so for me, and then flash forward to another scene where now Private Ryan is an old man. He's a retired military man. He's had a full life. He has children and grandchildren. His wife is beside him. He's at the foot of the tombstone of his captain. And his wife comes to him, which is another metaphysical meaning because the feminine in movies represents your intuition and your emotional self. And he looks at his wife and he says, tell me I've been a good man. Mm. He wants to know that he earned it. He wants to know that he lived his life in such a way that the sacrifice of other folks was worth it, whether it was his captain, whether it was fellow soldier. And so for me, the reason why that movie is so meaningful, and I still 20 plus years later get teary eyed thinking about it, is because I want to get to the point in my old age where I can look at what I have done, who I have taught, how I have served. And I know I earned it. That is a powerful charge that you have put on yourself. And I will say this to you, sister, sister, you earned it because you were born. Mm -hmm. You have paid the price through the many challenges that you have had in your life and you've overcome them. Now it's the time for you to just experience the joy, Mm -hmm. you know, just experience the joy because you have earned, like I said, you've earned it just because you were born. You were put in situations as a child Mm-hmm. that most adults can't handle. You've earned it. You have overcome cancer when many have not. You have earned it. You have raised a daughter who was self-sufficient. You have earned it. <laughs> you are in a loving marriage. You've earned it. You've built an empire on your own without being a legacy kid or mm. a inheritance kid or a life insurance kid. You've earned it. So I say to you, sister to sister, go experience joy. Mm -hmm. So I say, I receive it. I receive it. I know what to sit down. (laughs) Just go experience joy because you have earned it. And the obligation I feel that we have now as black and brown women, indigenous women, Asian women is to experience joy. Yes. Because that is the great revolution of our times mm-hmm. because we put the labor in yeah the, been oppressed. Are- the labor has mm-hmm. been done we know how to do that <laughs> like yes. you said you have to look for other possibilities that's exactly right <laughs> let's go find out what joy is like yes <laughs> and that work doesn't have to be this like hard white knuckling up the mountain no. type of like you know punishment your work, it's like the Bible says, my, your gifts will make room for you and bring you in the presence of great men. Yes, when amen. The, when you study the etymology of that verse, your gift makes room for you and it inspires greatness mm-hmm. in great men. And so you living your gift and expressing that gift is in itself inherently a joyful experience for you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't take effort. It takes effort to put a workshop together. It takes effort to put a mystery school tour together. It takes effort to do the coaching and do the IP and do all of that stuff. Yes, effort, not suffering, <laughs> right? Thanks. But we, we have to unhook. We've conflated two things that don't mean the same thing. Work is effort, but it doesn't have to be suffering and, and going without. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's where the wealth comes in. <laughs> that's, right. that's exactly right. Because we don't live in a barter society. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we live in capitalism and we have to be aware that yes, we can manifest, but like the Bible says, faith without works is dead. You have to put in the work. 
but it doesn't have to be hard. And you can create your own economy. You don't have to be dependent on other people because the one thing that you do, you might make a great pie, like we talked about earlier. Maybe I don't, but I'll pay you to teach me how to do it or I'll I'll pay you to make the pie. That's exactly right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we do have the power and the knowledge and the innovation because we've done it. And mm-hmm. we have example after example and example of people who have done it and who do yes. it well. So now it's time to, if it's some not people who are listening, if it's something that you're thinking about contemplating, moving into another level of your life or a different aspect of your life. Monica, how do women, people reach you so that they can, so that you can walk them through that journey? Yeah. So if you're on Instagram, you can find me at Monica Ogando. Same thing in the Facebook. It's Monica Ogando, LinkedIn. You can find, look me up by my name. And you can go to my website, monicaogando.com and find some of the ways in which we can work together that way. This has been such a rich conversation. I have, I actually have a stack of questions I did not ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I always, yes, I always say spirit, just lead me, just lead me. Yes. But I have one final question. Okay. I ask everyone, what is your black girl magic superpower? Oh, my black girl magic superpower. For you, your black Latino magic superpower. Well, you know, that, that's just one boat stop away, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's down the road. <laughs> well, tell me how you define black girl superpowers, and then I can tell you. For some people, it's it's not my definition. It's your definition. Yes. But what are you referring to? Like the thing that you say that you do easily or the thing that you bring to the world or what you bring to the world? What is your, like the aspect of what you bring to how you do the things you do, your swag, your okay. juice, your magic potion? I'm going to say that my black girl's magic superpower is sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. My thing as a teacher, as a coach, as an entrepreneur, isn't to get people to follow me. Leaders create leaders. Masters create masters. So my work as a coach, as a teacher, as a speaker, as all of that, is to remind you and awaken in you that you are already your own answer. Now, you may need some tools for that. We can talk about astrology and human design and Egypt Mystery School Tour and and communication and grace talks. And there's a lot of tools that I can present to you so that it can support you in that journey. But ultimately, that journey is about you coming home to yourself and then standing in that power and that sovereignty. That's what drives everything I do. Mm, That is it. See? Magic. (laughs) (laughs) You asked what it was? I help you find yourself. (laughs) Ta-da! Yes. Well, let me tell you, I, first of all, will you come back? Absolutely. Because we have so many conversations to have and we just covered a little bit of a, of a lot. (laughs) So open door. I don't know what to say right now because I want to ask you 10 more questions, but we're going to close out. We've been talking for two hours and I'm going to say, thank you. I love you. I'm happy that we are reconnected. Yes. And hopefully in the future, we can collaborate on some other things. Absolutely. And just thank you for your honesty and your openness in this conversation. And you, mm-hmm. But you never had a problem talking. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. How you feel. So yes. I just appreciate your time and your energy and the love that you have given everybody who's listening. And I will talk to you soon. Have an amazing day. 
Thank you so much. You do the same. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.